Now may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So today is the fourth Sunday in, in Lent, which we often call Latere Sunday from the Latin uh, for rejoicing, coming from that introit that we sang while we were sensing the altar from Isaiah 66, verse 10, rejoice ye with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all ye that love her, rejoice for joy with her all ye that mourn for her. So this rejoicing is a bit of a departure from our normal Lenten um, kind of starkness of Lent, that, that focus on mourning and repentance. We're bringing in a little bit of joy. That's why Father Marcus is in the rose chasuble today. We're mixing a little bit of the joyful white in with the violet to, uh, to get that rose. But within the greater context of Isaiah 66, that chapter we get our introit from, um, the Lord is using the metaphor of birth to prophesy the redemption, restoration, and purification of his people. Because you see, when Isaiah is writing this, Jerusalem and the temple are in ruins. God's people are in exile. They had fallen into idolatry just like their pagan neighbors. They were at the bottom of the barrel. But God was going to bring about new birth. He would cleanse them from their sins. He would restore true and proper worship. He would rescue his people. And in fact, if you continue on to the end of the chapter, we see that God's going to expand his people beyond that one family, even to the point of choosing priests and Levites from among the Gentiles. The beauty of this prophecy is that it is all God's doing. It's all God's grace. The Israelites' exile was just. They had received what they deserved for turning from God and turning to idolatry. And in fact, God had told them this was coming for generations. He said, this is coming, turn around, and they wouldn't do it. So they received what they deserved. But God, in his grace, promised to rescue them anyway, just because he loved them. Now, one of the most important aspects of biblical interpretation is to remember that Israel's story is often a microcosm of all of humanity's story. So all of humanity was in a similar, is in a similar state to Israel in this exile. In article number nine of our 39 articles of religion, we read that mankind is very far gone from original righteousness and is of his own nature inclined to evil, so that the flesh lusteth always contrary to the spirit. And therefore, in every person born into this world, it deserveth God's wrath and damnation. But God doesn't leave us there, right? Later on in our service, we're going to be reciting the comfortable words, which begin with John three sixteen. So God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then these words from St. Paul, this is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you remember that passage in context, he goes on to say, of whom I'm the foremost. I don't think St. Paul took a survey of all the uh, Christians and said, yep, uh, kind of tabulated it in Excel and said, yep, I'm the worst of all these guys. 
Rather, this, but, but that's, a, that's a, what, what he's showing there is a disposition of Christian humility that we see ourselves as we are, which is pretty bad. But nevertheless, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. As usual, our collect for the day perfectly sums up this theme. We prayed, grant, we beseech the almighty God that we who for our evil deeds do worthily deserve to be punished by the comfort of thy grace may be mercifully relieved through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This then brings us to another title for the fourth Sunday in Lent, one that was a lot more common um, in in previous generations, especially in the Anglican world, which is uh, Dominica Refrectionis, that Sunday of Refreshment. Pardon my, uh, my, my Latin uh, pronunciation, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Charlie and other Latin teachers we have here. My Latin's not great. But this, uh, this idea of the Sunday of refreshment comes from our gospel passage in John, in, in John chapter 6, where Jesus refreshed the crowd at the feeding of the 5,000. So let's open our Bibles to John 6, beginning at the first verse. You can find this in your prayer book on page 131 or in your pew Bibles on 837. Page 131 in the prayer book, 837 in your pew Bible. John 6, 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So first we see that the context of this passage is the time of the Passover. You'll remember from your Old Testament that Passover was the Old Testament feast that celebrated God rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt during the events of the Exodus. One year from what's going on in our gospel... God was going to bring about another exodus when he rescues his people from slavery to sin. And this time, God the Son himself would be the Passover lamb when our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Now, three weeks from today, we're going to be celebrating those events when we remember the, uh, the, the Last Supper on Monday, Thursday, the crucifixion on Good Friday, the harrowing of hell on, on Holy Saturday, and then, of course, the resurrection of our Lord on Easter Sunday. Today, we are just past the halfway point of Lent, and we get a foreshadowing of those things to come, a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do in the gospel, and then a foreshadowing of what, of what we're going to be celebrating in just three weeks. So our violet of mourning, our violet of repentance gets mixed with a little bit of that white of joy and celebration for this Rose Sunday. Now, of course, every Sunday is a mini Easter. And in fact, the reason Christians have historically worshipped on Sunday was to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus. This is also why the prayer book's ideal was always for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. The sacrament of the body and blood of the Lord is one of the means of grace whereby we participate in the new Passover. Now let's pick up in verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, 
Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, that is 200 days worth of, uh, of payment, would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. We see here Jesus testing the apostles with his question. And like God's testing of Abraham in Genesis, Jesus' testing of the apostles was there to strengthen their faith. He wasn't asking because he didn't know, right? The text says so. He knew what he was going to do. He He was trying to test them. This testing of our faith uh, is something that continues on to this day, right? And we're going to follow on in the apostles' in the apostles' example, because despite the logistical nightmare of feeding five thousand people, ultimately the apostles do trust Jesus, and they do what he says. He, they set them all down in their groups so that they could be fed. A key aspect of faith then is obedience to God and trust in Him even when we have nothing but questions. I find myself reminded of driving in uh, some of these dark hill country roads in this part of Texas late at night uh, when there's no lights on the road and all you have are your headlights. It doesn't show you the end of the road. It doesn't show you your whole journey, but you get enough to keep going, right? And uh, if, you, if you've ever done that, you'll, you'll notice that a 30-minute trip in the hill country at night feels like an hour and a half because you just don't know where you're going or you know where you're going. You're kind of walking by faith, not by sight, right? You have just enough to see the next in the road and hopefully not run into that deer that's going to jump out in front of you. Faith often works the same way. Sometimes God does not show us the full journey, but he does give us enough to keep going. He gives us enough to obey him, to move to that next step. This is also an important part of our Lenten lessons. We fast and we pray so that we will rely more on God and less on ourselves. We learn to see God as the one who will provide, even when the situation seems impossible. We see that God is in control, even when all we have is questions. Let's pick up with verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come in the world. So the final verse of our passage here refers to the prophet like Moses that's spoken of in Deuteronomy 18, especially verses 18 and 19. Uh, The Lord is speaking to Moses in in these two verses. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So this idea of a second Moses was a common messianic expectation in Jesus' day. 
See, Moses gave the people God's very words from Sinai. The Messiah would also give the people God's very words. Moses fed the people with manna in the wilderness. Well, the Messiah would also feed God's people. And indeed, this is the primary focus of our gospel passage today, that parallel between Jesus feeding the 5,000 and Moses feeding the Israelites in the wilderness. If you continue on in John chapter 6, this parallel is made explicit in the bread of life discourse. So the day after Jesus feeds these 5,000 men, the crowd is looking for him again because they had been fed and they wanted more. Jesus tells them instead to seek eternal food and to believe in the one God has sent. The people then respond by asking for a sign. If you have your Bibles, do skip down to verse 30. We're going to pick up. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So not only is Jesus the new Moses, but he's also the new manna. He's the bread of life. If you continue even further in John chapter 6, you find that there is deep Eucharistic significance to this passage. This discussion between Jesus and those folks that were looking for him the next day, it goes on for pretty much the rest of the chapter, and it becomes one of those prime examples of St. John giving us layers and layers of his theology. It's, he's, he's very deep theologically, um, and kind, of, kind of like an onion. The more you peel away, the more you find uh, deep down. And this culminates then in verses 55 through 58, I'm sorry, 54 through 58, uh, where Jesus says, Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh, I'm sorry, back up to 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So historically, Easter Sunday uh, was was. a a significant day in the life of the church with respect to the Lord's Supper. So on the one hand, uh, new converts would be baptized and brought into the church. If there was a bishop there, they would be confirmed, and then they would receive their first communion all on that Easter vigil service on Saturday night, Um, the Saturday night service being technically the first service of Easter, right? But also, also throughout much of the life of the Western church, Weekly communion that we kind of expect today, that was not the norm, Uh, certainly not for the lay people. But even when that was the case, 
everybody did partake of communion on Easter Sunday. That was one of the days when um, in in post-Reformation England, for example, you were required by law to take communion on Easter Sunday. And and in fact, that was kind of the hardest part about the early days of the pandemic for for me and for many of us here at All Saints is we we were shut down (laughs) on Easter Sunday. Not only could we not take communion, we couldn't even gather last year. That was terrible, absolutely terrible. But we see this significance to Easter with respect to the Lord's Supper. Now, for the past 22 days, uh, yesterday was day number 22 of, of Lent. Tomorrow begins day 23. We've been exercising the spiritual discipline of fasting in some form or another. Now, by way of confession, I do not enjoy fasting. <laughs> it is not something that, that, that I like at all. I always deeply miss whatever it is that I've given up for Lent. But the other end of fasting is feasting. And one of the things that fasting does is that it helps us to have a greater appreciation for those good things that we've given up while we're fasting. Fasting also helps us to to learn to look to the Lord for our provision. You know, we've been intentionally for the last 22 days creating hunger in our flesh so that we would learn to better rely on the Lord for our spiritual nourishment. Now, our catechism says that in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are spiritually strengthened and refreshed by the body and blood of Christ in the same way that our bodies are strengthened and refreshed by bread and wine. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes, and we meditate on the Lord's miraculous provision in the gospel, I pray then that we would feed on the bread of life, be strengthened by his grace, and ultimately run our Lenten race with endurance. And we say this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.